Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who's been itching to get a new tattoo. Do it. (laughs) And I'm Vervada, the girl who can't stop thinking about the Cadbury caramel egg I have in my pantry. I really want it right now. (laughs) I don't like the cream eggs, the caramel that's where it's at. It does sound really good. I have a pepperoni stick that's staring at me. Eat me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good, too. And I probably will right after we talk about our upcoming guest for today. Today is a very special interview with Indian-born Anshuman Mitra. Anshuman started off as an assistant director in Bollywood and then moved full-time to the States to pursue his master's in screenwriting at Chapman University. And he wrote a film that was nominated at Austin Film Festival, won Best Picture at the New York Film Awards, and he also was a narrative designer at Episode. And at Episodes, he was responsible for written, directorial, sartorial, editorial, oral, and design choices within that game. So we dive into it and really get to know what it was like working at Episode and for Pocket Gem as a company. And the difference is between writing from a male perspective and a female perspective and how branching out choices can be difficult to keep track of in your mind. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to hear the perspective of a screenwriter coming to video game writing And what differences there were and how much more work video game writing is from screenwriting, at least in Anshman's experience. And I thought that was really interesting. And also, we talked a little bit about how interactive stories on mobile platforms like Episode, how they decide what to monetize, what he believes would be a form of acceptable versus unacceptable monetization for affection. So I thought that was a very interesting conversation overall. A little bit different than what we normally talk about, because he's not really that much into romance, but I thought it was still really interesting to hear from him. And just a slight heads up on the audio, we do have a couple moments where things get a little glitchy, because uh, he is back in India, so working from India time and our internet versus their internet and all of that in between, it may not be the highest quality, but we hope that the content is. Let's get into it. Okay, so I am Anshuman, uh, Anshuman Mitra. I'm a screenwriter, a game writer, and also a podcast writer. In terms of screenwriting, uh, I've written uh, and acted in some short films that have, you know, done the rounds in America on the festival circuit. 
is a film of mine, Kafas. It means caged in Arabic. It got me a nomination uh, at the Austin Film Festival for Best Short Film. And uh, it won Best Picture at uh, New York Film Awards, Giant 2021. Uh, and it won to like a bunch of other festivals, like 15 other festivals. I've worked on other projects also, but nothing has gotten me that kind of a claim. Then uh, I am also a game writer. I used to write and direct um, games for Pocket Gems, which is a holding company. But I think our listeners will know the app uh, called Episode. I think mean, that's more popular. So I used to write, uh, I used to be a narrative designer basically at episode uh, for a year. And I used to write and direct video games there. And yeah, and I also write, like, mine's just me alone just rambling and it's about fantasy football. It's not about anything cool like what you guys are going on here. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I wanted to ask too, how just because it's so interesting. We, we've interviewed a couple of narrative designers so far on our podcast, but we haven't talked to anyone who's also worked on films. So from your experience, how do they differ? How are they similar? It seems, I'm sure they're very different, like writing for a game versus for a film. I'm just interested in that difference, honestly. No, yeah, it's a good question to start, I think. I think, yeah, I think when I, everyone's experience is going to be different, right? Because some people might start off as a playwright and then, they might dabble in screenwriting and then get into game writing or however sequence might work for them. For me personally, my first love is film. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I still do. I still kind of am. <laughs> but so I transitioned from screenwriting to game writing. So this is from that perspective. So uh, I think the first difference when I started game writing, when I started working at episode is it can be for like the same amount of story, it can be a lot more work to write for games because of the interactive element. So see, in a, in a screenplay, you don't have that. In a screenplay, I'm the writer. I think this is the best way for the story to move forward. And I'm making all the choices actively. Mm-hmm. And so I just write for those choices. Whereas in a game, it's interactive. So I can give you three choices, four choices, two choices. And even if it's just two choices, that can add a lot of work because of the branching nature of games. And that's something I didn't expect coming into it, to be very honest. And then, because like when I was a screenwriter, I was like, oh, you just finish the story and then you're done. Now you go out, you're done. Your work's over. When you're a game writer, you still experience that catharsis that you experience as a writer when you get to the end of a branch. And then you're like, yay, I did it. I mean, I don't want to speak for that, but for me, it's like a lot of the time, just, I'm trying to get to the end, you know, just so I finally show for my work. And so you still feel like catharsis in games when you get to the end of a branch, and then you realize, oh, I have to go back and write another branch now. So that's the first major, major difference. Yeah, that's something, I, I mean, the other narrative designers, we all, I just love listening to how they approach their writing and what kind of work goes into it, because... I mean, I think most gamers, especially, you know, we all love the story and we like talking about it, but we don't actually know how it comes to be. And that's something we've even just since we started this podcast in November last year, we learned about how much like even just changing one line, how many people you have to talk to, (laughs) to get that okayed, like everything you create has to go through so many filters. I, I would not have known that either. 
until we started talking to people who work in the games industry. And I would have thought movies would be similar, actually. So it's interesting to, I mean, aside from the interactive element, but I wouldn't have assumed it added that much more work to it and makes game writing seem much more challenging, maybe rewarding too. How did you find it at once you got suited to the work and you were like, oh, settled in? And do you think screenwriting is still your favorite method of writing? Or would you be a games writer again if you had the opportunity? It's like asking which one of your two children is your favorite. It's, uh, I love both of them. I fell absolutely in love with game writing and it's something I can't not do anymore. It's something definitely if I had the opportunity again to do that, I would absolutely jump at it. I have been doing it. I mean, I do make games just for myself or just like a side project. Anyway, put it up on itch.io. Yeah, I mean, professionally as well, I'd love to do it. I mean, once I got my feet onto the desk at my game writing job and started working, to me, like films are very fulfilling in their own way, but they're fulfilling in a, in a different kind of way because you write a screenplay and you write a screenplay knowing that this is going to be a collaborative document. It's like an architect drawing up a blueprint. You're not going to make the building yourself. Like a bunch of other people, like 100, 200 construction, maybe more. But on a film set, there's going to be like 200, depending on the scale, maybe 30, 40, 50, whatever. Like more people coming on board, buying into your vision and creating the film with, with their own hands. And, and so that's very satisfying. My favorite thing to do once I've written the screenplay is to just go on set. And I, I'm, I don't really ever have any work on set as a writer. I mean, you know, like you can say, oh, if a write, if an actor needs a rewrite or rewrite the dialogue because they, you know, like to suit their flow and their rhythm. And that is work for sure. It is. But for 90% of the time when you're a writer on a film set, you just got to kick back and watch people do their thing. And they're all working on something you created, on something that was a seed in your head at one point in time. Mm-hmm. You have all these people, all this muscle, moving like boxes around and creating fake glass and bullets and blood. You're like, man, I did that? I thought of that? That's, that's insane. So that's what like being a screenwriter is like. The good bits, anyway. Game writing, narrative design, say, I can only speak to my experience. So, like, specifically on this job, uh, when I was working at Episode, to me, that was, like, my highest potential. To me, at least at that point in my life, it felt like reaching the highest potential of just myself. I studied IT in undergrad, and so they taught me coding, and I initially hated it. But then I had to graduate and get my degree. So while doing that, I learned how to code, you know, just like in the process of getting my degree. Once I graduated, I was like, that's it. I'm never doing this again. I'm never coding again in my life. I don't want to go anywhere near coding, programming. I don't want this. <laughs> and while I was still uh, in undergrad, I, I started working as an AD on a film set. And that's how I started my journey with film. This was even before I knew I wanted to be a writer, honestly. Like, I used to write, but when I went on a film set, I was like, okay, let's see how they make a film. I don't know what I want to do. Maybe I want to be a director. Maybe I want to be a cinematographer. I don't know. So, it started from there. And then, once I understood, okay, writing is my thing. So, I, I got into that flow. Anyway, coming, coming back to the coding thing, I thought I'd never do that again. Right? So I was like, I love writing. This is my thing. 
never leaving me. And then I walk into the job at Pocket Gems or Episode, and they say, "Oh, you're gonna have to write a screenplay." But here's the thing: our software basically you still write it as a screenplay with like a few syntax adjustments, and that is the code for the game that mm-hmm. you generate. So I was like, "What? So you're gonna have me code?" And then I realized I actually like coding now because I'm I don't know I just didn't have that negative pressure of having to get a good grade or having it hang over my head like oh I need to get a job or whatever. Okay, I can do this. I trained for it, and then it became like okay, writing and coding together, and that feeling was like the best feeling I've ever experienced in my life. Oh, that's amazing. When doing research for today's interview, I was on the episode website and looking at it and it's like, but well, you can sign up to learn how to write your own episode of episode. And it was very, very much you can, it walks you through all the coding steps and things like that. So having that pre knowledge that you had on how to do it must have made that transition a lot easier for you. Were you specifically looking for a romance game to write for? Or was it just kind of any game that you wanted to get into? Like, do you want me to be honest? Or, Honesty I mean, is the best policy. <laughs> I was just looking for a job. You know, that's blatant truth. But, you know, like, for a screenwriter who comes out of like grad school in America, and I've been like, that's what I was. I went to film school, got my master's in screenwriting, and then you come out. And then all my friends who did the same thing as me, like all my fellow mates, and I know that it's very rare someone comes right out of the gate and is a screenwriter. Made bonafide movie screenwriter, you made it. Right? That, that's a very rare thing. And we were trained to understand that while we were in film school is that this is kind of an old person's game almost. Mm-hmm. It's like in other jobs, the, the more you grow, you kind of lose your market appeal a little bit. But I really believe writing is like an old person's game because you get wiser, you just accumulate more life experience. And and that is the fuel for your writing. That's where all the good bits come from. It's just like lived in experience. So I got out of school and I thought I was very lucky because I have a lot of other friends who weren't fortunate enough to get a job that required them to use the skills that we were taught in school. So for me to get a job that just required me to use the training that I'd been given was like the biggest bonus ever. And more than anything I could have asked for, like I was like, yes. So uh, I, I feel very fortunate to have, to have landed that role. And then you also bring in uh, the coding element, something I thought I'd never used before. But also the other thing with episode, like you were mentioning. So when you actually make these games, you make a lot of choices. I'm not talking about like gameplay choices. I'm talking about like just like product choices. So like editorial choices, sound choices, sartorial choices, oral choices, all those kinds of choices. So one of my like pet peeves while I was in film school is they wouldn't let me direct a lot. Mm. They were like, you're a screenwriter. So you write. That's your job. You write. And then once you write, we'll get a director to direct, direct your script. So they kind of put me in that box. Right? So... And when you're there, it's such a fertile period of your life, you know, your mind's just like budding and you're like, I need to exercise this other part of my brain and I'm not getting to do that. And when I started working on episode, I thought one of the biggest benefits to me just as an individual was I I got to practice my uh, directing chops and Mm -hmm. that's something I didn't expect going in, but that was definitely one of the biggest points because 
I would just sit there for hours, just like framing, framing it correctly, you know, like Friday night, people want to go out, whatever. And I'm like, no, man, I just want to get the framing right. And and the thing is, uh, compared to like an actual film set where you have talent and you have SAG-AFTRA and you have and unions, so on a film set, you have like SAG-AFTRA and they're a very good union and they protect uh, actors' rights and they, as they rightly should. But you have all these real world constraints. Whereas when, when I was working on an episode, it was just me. And it was just, how much do I want to push myself? How much do I want to stretch myself? And for me, one of like my guilty pleasures on the job was just sitting there for hours when I didn't need to and just making sure the framing was just good. I don't know, some pleasure you get out of just getting the frame exactly right. When you're like, mm-hmm. oh, it's like the perfect picture moment. Thing. Yeah. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And now, let's take a quick break so you can listen to the sponsors of today's episode. Thanks for listening. And a huge shout out to our patrons. We would not be able to continue doing this show if it wasn't for you guys and your support. So seriously, big freaking thank yous to Toasty, Apollo, Meiji Moose, Captain Shanko, and our newest Miss Cloudy Atlas. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we're back with our show. I hope you enjoyed the ad break. I could easily get lost doing that too. <laughs> Once you got the job, because that's me, like every job I've ever had is just like, I need a job, so I'm going to take what, what comes. <laughs> Once you got there, did you find that you actually enjoyed writing romance? And like, how did you approach romantic writing versus just, you know, platonic friendships or regular, you know, non-romantic writing? What, what do you think is different and how would you approach that? Right. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest challenges in the job. And when I say challenge, I don't mean that in like a negative way. It wasn't like a hurdle or an obstacle or something. You just, you need to use that to fuel hopefully good storytelling. And I think a lot of my work uh, now in hindsight, now that I look back at it, like a lot of my screenwriting work, I, I really struggle to write good romantic tracks in stories. It doesn't have to be like a feature, but just in any kind of story. And I don't know, I just always justify it to myself because I haven't had like a very successful like romantic life. So I always feel like I don't know what it feels like to have that like very fulfilling kind of like end to a story. So like, how am I going to authentically tell you a story like that when I'm not, when I don't really know what that feels like? And I feel like, like all the good bits of my writing come from like, as I said, like lived in authentic experience. I mean, of course, you can always imitate it and, you know, you have friends and other people and you can always say, oh, it's like, it worked like that for him. So maybe that's how it happens. But it, it's never the same until you've experienced it yourself. So it was definitely something I was lacking in my writing. So coming into this job, which was very uh, romance heavy, I would say, I think the first thing that really helped me was writing from a female perspective. Hmm. I'd never, I always, 
I also realized this wasn't really by design, but I always wrote from a guy's point of view. And I don't, I think if you're a writer, I think you want to tell, you want to try and tell stories from different perspectives. I think that keeps you on your toes, that keeps you sharp, you know? And so once I started thinking about like, okay, I'm going to write this from a girl's perspective. And then it was like this whole new world opened up to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So what's this motivation going to be like? Or what does she want? And how, how what's like the dynamics of that? And it was like a whole new world opened up to me. Again, so I'm not employed at episode anymore. And this is strictly my, just own, my own personal views. But I feel like episode gets like a bad rap because I think sometimes, not always, it has like a massive reader base and a lot of people really enjoy the games and it affects people in a meaningful way every day. Before I took the job on, I spoke to like all my friends, like all my friends or girls, my sister and so on and so forth. And they've at least been made aware of episodes, like maybe through an iPhone ad, like an App Store ad or whatever. But they all knew of its existence. So I was very aware that I'm writing for a very popular kind of app and there's like a very set reader base here and I have to fulfill the expectations. Mm-hmm. While I started writing it, I think, so what I was saying a little two seconds back was, I think episode gets a bad rap because if you look up episode online, like you'll find news articles where it's like parents are not comfortable with their children using some of the content on there. Maybe some people feel, uh, everyone has a right to their opinion. Some people feel it, uh, it plays on a lot of like negative female stereotypes in their opinion because they basically wish fulfillment stories for teenage girls. Mm-hmm. If I had to say it in one sentence, that's what it is. That's really what it is. And yeah, you can dress it up a different way and give it a different jacket. And I mean, like a story jacket, not like an actual jacket jacket, but like you can mix it up with like a different genre. It can be sci-fi romance. It can be superhero romance, which is the story, kind of story I worked on. Horror romance, whatever. You can dress it up differently, but at its core, what is it? It's, it's about, it's about wish fulfillment. And that's also how I was able to like connect with the characters I was writing for because yeah, I've had that experience when I went to high school and I wanted to date like the hottest person in my year and I couldn't. And this game kind of lets you do that. And there is a view among, in some quarters where that, that's not great. And that's maybe, I don't know, that it doesn't work for some people. But I think, and also going by the app's popularity, I think, I think that's fine. And I think that's good. And I think a game should be able to do that. It should be able to grant you certain things that maybe you can't go out and achieve in your like, everyday normal life yeah that's something that since we started this podcast the first narrative designer we interviewed her name is Heidi McDonald and she wrote um and she's done a lot of research on video game romance and one thing that she's found and other people who've looked into this have found like people experiment with their sexuality and what they find attractive with video games so yeah it's it might not be like the most ideal representation, I suppose, but it's like the target audience of episodes does seem to be teenage girls. And as long as it's not too graphic, I haven't played episodes, but games are a way to do something in life that you can't actually do in real life. So it could be a a good way to just, you know, have a little bit of feeling of success. Like you were saying, I personally don't like playing FIFA and stuff because I'm like, I could play soccer in real life. Like I want to play like Fallout or Mass Effect or, you know, I can't be a space commander or a dragon or something. I want to do that when I play games. And 
I think that's a perfectly valid reason to play a cute little game. Like even if it's just a miniature escape and like, you know, you're like, oh, I really want that guy to be my boyfriend, but he can't. So I'll just go into episodes and, you know, I'll feel a little bit of satisfaction seeing like this character and this romance work out. I think there is something valuable there. I think that's the part some parents have a problem with is uh, their children uh, going out and exploring their sexuality a little bit on these games. And I, I mean, so that's what parents usually have a concern with is their children going on the app and exploring their sexuality a little bit over there. And I think two things about that. One, and I mean, it's easy to say about like other people's children, but like to the best of my judgment, I think I'd rather have someone do that in a safe space, like a game, before they go out into the real world and do it, if, if that's what people want to do. That's point number one. Point number two is that's also like someone like like a narrative designer's job is to make sure that we design like safe experiences for girls, guys, whoever, like non-binary, trans. It's our job to make it like a safe space and to not give them, I think games have a big responsibility in that sense because you can give someone like very bad feedback. Like, you know, if you don't wear like Chanel or whatever, you're never going to have, you're never going to get a boyfriend or something like that. Like you, you can make a game like that. And that's like negative reinforcement and you, no one needs that. But that's like someone like me. Like that's where I come in. And that's my job to make sure that whoever's playing this game, no matter what choice they make while playing the game, they, they get something in return. You know, something that's a little more like wholesome in return. And that's not just like shallow and like, oh, like, okay, I couldn't get like the hottest guy or whatever. So it's all bad. And for like most games I've played, I, I, I think like, like you were saying, I don't think it's graphic. I think it's more suggestive mm-hmm. than graphic. But again, I can't speak for like every person who's made a game on that platform. And the other thing about uh, episode and I think why they've run into hot waters at, at times over the years is because a lot of stories on there are user generated. Mm-hmm. So someone like me, so my job at episode wasn't, I go there, I pitch a story and then we launch it on the app and then it gets really popular. It's more users. It's very popular with users with uh yeah with the with the user base and they make games they put it out there and then once they've done that it either catches on or it doesn't they have like stats and stuff to like measure readership and whatnot and 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 say and some of these stories like do really 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 well and and coming back to like what you guys are saying like my prior coding experience probably helped you'd be amazed like how good at coding 13 year old girls are who've never taken a coding class in their life. That's good as I am. And there's another person from my film school, uh, uh, she had never, uh, never done coding ever in her life. She was, you know, it takes some time, but once you get there, you get there, you know, you can do it. It's um, ultimately just hard work, you know, you do it, you get, you, you get a reward. So, so a lot of these stories are user generated. So once they catch on, that's when we come in and they'll give me a story like that and they'll be like, okay, smoothen it out like all the rough edges like the writing directing and stuff and add premium choices right and that's how they monetize games at episode is you can either you can totally play the game you don't have to pay you don't have to make any in-app purchases you can just play and we and my job is also to give you good non-paying options 
But if you want to get that extra kick, you want to be like Demi Lovato or something. <laughs> then yeah, we'll we'll design like a experience for you to go meet Demi in Europe or whatever. I'm not sure how how this works. So when do they tell you like how many monetized options you need? So you have control over which options will be the ones that you must purchase versus the free content when you're writing it. There's there's a general principle that we don't want to exclude anyone just because they can't make enough purchases. So that's one general principle. The other thing is uh, there's like premium, premium, and then there's like small premium. So like I mean, obviously premium, premium is like the stuff that go for more money, and then small premium are is, is more like just plain, just more flavor text kind of like you you write like flavor dialogue, you know, instead of like giving like a very plain Jane kind of answer, you you just spice it up a little bit, right? So and those are like different choices at different moments. They're never like part of the same menu. So the pre- the real premium ones they take place at like more pivotal moments in the story, versus like something that's not quite like the most premium thing ever. Is more just like how do you want to like interact as this person playing the story? It was always stressed to me that if someone doesn't want to make an in-app purchase, they should still have fun. They should still find this to be a very engaging, entertaining game. So that's yeah, that's pretty much how it went, and that's also like the most collaborative part of the process. I think everything else, uh, they kind of let you get on with it, really. Like, uh, like you were saying, you spoke like one of your earlier guests. They said each line has to sometimes be checked, you know, like with people, like if it's okay. I think that was one of the perks also of working at episode is they give you a lot of creative freedom. They don't interfere in your process at all. The thing is, if if something goes south, you need to be able to justify it, which obviously you have to be accountable. But they don't. Ask you like in development, they don't ask you. Oh, why did you change that line? Because this is already so popular. Why are you changing stuff? That's never a thing. You can change stuff as you see fit. And the most collaborative element comes in when you're designing these premium choices, because that's when you have input from a creative director, from marketing, maybe you have to work with art to like kind of like maybe design like a better dress, so on and so forth. I have heard some concern from other people saying like. With these games, usually it's mobile games because norm- the games that we've reviewed so far in our podcast have been like big RPGs, but like these mobile games that are interactive stories, especially the romance ones, huge part of video game romance. And there is some concern with people about monetizing affection, like ethical, because mon- obviously they need to charge for some things to make money. <laughs> like it's a, it's a lot of work, as you said. So how do you think is a good way to monetize a relationship versus, you know, because they are primarily younger people playing it. How do you feel about that? I think it's definitely a very sensitive dynamic, like you rightly said. Uh, you don't want to be manipulative uh, when you're designing a game. Again, I think going back to it, because at least on episode, like a lot of these stories are user-generated. So it's like one of the audience thought it would be cool to have this kind of choice. So what what do we ask, not we, I don't work there anymore, but what did we ask people to pay for? It would be something like a new dress. I want to take a vacation to Europe. That kind of thing. So it was also, you're giving them, so vacation to Europe is a lot of content. That's a lot of work. Like we're designing an entire new experience that other people who aren't going to choose that choice aren't going to get. So that I think is justified to a certain extent. 
the dress thing again i think it comes down to you as a player you know if it i can see how it can be manipulative because as you said it is a lot of times a lot of young people playing these games so you know it's like mom credit card you know yeah that 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 can happen of course that can happen but i mean ultimately the idea is to leave the choice with the user and i think as long as these games are not forcing or like cornering anyone to like choose uh, the more like the paid options i think that's as much as they can do really because like i said like as long as i give you another option that's as rich that may not be going to europe but that that may be richer emotionally right as long as i'm giving you something like one of the things about like game writing and narrative design that you know as i've done it more and more i've realized is when you make branching narrative games like i do it now and i share it with like my writers group and stuff and one of the things we talk about a lot is no matter and this is not about paid on unpaid but it kind of plays into that is it doesn't matter what choice the player makes, the experience should be just as good as long as you're providing content that is still enriching even though okay i don't get to take the trip to europe because i don't have the 10 bucks to spend on a trip to europe right now but as long as i'm still getting something out of the relationship that we're forming on the app it's still it's still valid it's still valuable but i kind of wanted to know if you have had any influences from you know like video gaming as a gamer yourself you know have you experienced any of the big romance series such as mass effect or dragon age or fallout series things like that yeah no not really to be very honest uh i i grew up playing so i love fifa a big big fifa guy uh so i grew up playing a lot of sports games like nba fifa that kind of thing uh i am in now in my adulthood i have discovered a new found love for like narrative games to be fair to me i always wanted to try them when i was a kid but my cousins would not have it they always wanted to play like the shooters and the racing games in fifa so i i had to like pull the line there but like now like in my adulthood i've discovered like so right now i'm playing uh, yeah very 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 late to the party but i'm only now playing the last of us oh okay i mean first of all there's romance in that well the second one but i'm so excited yeah. i love last of us <laughs> a huge narrative game person i don't know if you could tell so yeah so you're just playing the first one right now i'm just playing the first i've had it forever and i only started it now uh you know once i had no more levels to complete in fifa <laughs> i finally got around to like playing the last phase it's so good it just so 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 good and that's the thing is like i playing that game and also other games of like now in my adulthood i realize now that man like there's so much scope for like narrative driven games and you, you know like i had like a professor in film school who told me once i think it was completely wrong by the way he said he said to me once oh it's not just video games that are that that are interactive you know and he was like if you do it right even screenplays are interactive bullshit <laughs> bullshit no like games are interactive like actual interactive like you play something like the last of us and you really understand that because every decision you make like just the sequence of things everything makes a difference and there's so many possibilities you can play one single level in the last of us like 50 different ways and come up with 50 different outcomes 
Like objectively, okay, it's going to be either you clear the level or not. But how you clear the level is a thing. And that's, I think, to the audience, I think that's what people want. It's not just did I clear the level. It's not that shallow. I think it's how you do it. It's how you experience the journey. How your character experiences the journey through you. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's really, really important. And I think narrative games give you an opportunity to do that. And yeah, I know I'm total noob in terms of like playing narrative games, but it's something I really look forward to exploring. Highly recommend. I'm glad you're playing Last of Us. The studio that made The Last of Us is Naughty Dog. And they also made the Uncharted series. And I think something that's notable about them, which you as like a film nerd will very much appreciate, is how cinematic their games are. Because it kind of, to me, when I play those games, I feel like I'm participating in a movie. It doesn't feel like a video game. Like, I'm so immersed in this whole new world. I'm like, wow, I'm watching a movie, but I'm also in the movie, you know? Because it's so, it's just cinematic. Like, some there are times where the camera is panned out really far, and you're like, oh, I'm controlling the character right now? I thought it was a cut scene, you know? Because it's just, it's it's art. So, I can't, you must just keep going and play the second part of The Last of Us when you finished as well. So good. Actually, our last narrative guest, we kind of gushed about The Last of Us Part 2 because the one of the end scenes in that game, we both were like, never experienced something more powerful playing a game than that scene. So I'm excited for you to experience it. <laughs> it's definitely heavy, yeah. but it's so good. Yes, for sure. I can't wait to learn how to play the guitar on it. I know that's a thing, right? I want to use the, what do you yep. call the trackpad? Yep. That's the fretboard, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You have this whole saw, area you can go play guitar in. It's really cute. It's a cute scene. Yeah. yeah. I saw, uh, I saw a GDC talk on, uh, the game designers who make just the guitar segment on that game. They did a whole talk of how they came up with it. It's like 30 minutes. You can find it on YouTube. And I listened to that and I was like, wow. Wow. This is, amazing like i want to do this like i, I want to like not just experience it now as a gamer but i want to make something like that and i think that's the power of games and that's what i mean when i say they're like truly truly interactive not whatever other kind of interactive there is which i don't know what other kind of interactive there is but that kind of interactive is so powerful because it's, it's like everything i think i think it's a little too easy in the last of us part one but there's things like, you know, like sparking, like sparking the spark plug of a car to get started. Or like, if you've ever like tried to do that, or if you've like tried to like ever like take like a really heavy object and put it up against the wall to try and climb it. If you actually try and do these things, they're like not easy to do. And if you actually can make that like fun and interactive in its own right, then at least me, I would love playing something like that. But I think The Last of Us does like a really good job of that, not taking anything away from it. We are almost at time, too. So I guess if you want to take the last few minutes to plug, I know you said you have a podcast, you've made some movies. I, for one, am interested in the movie that won you all the acclaim. Do you, Where can you watch that, and what would you like to share? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm Anshuman underscore LFC on Twitter. Come say hi. I hang out there a bunch. You can talk about whatever you want. My, uh, my podcast, I haven't made, I'll be honest, I haven't made an episode, uh, recently. But if you're in, into, uh, fantasy football, then come check it out. It's called The Art of Fantasy. I'll share a link, uh, with my movie. And then what I'd also like to do is, I'd like to, like, so I made, like, a short radio play recently, 
which I'm kind of pretty excited to share with people. It's it's I'm gonna give you a warning. It's either like very out there or very in here, depending on who you are. So proceed with caution. You may like it, you may hate it. I don't think you'll be indifferent about it. So um, I like to share that. Yeah, I mean, I think those are two things I like to share. The podcast, yeah, I mean, if you're into, I know FPL is a very niche kind of thing, so I don't want to like bug people with that. But yeah, Anshuman underscore LSC, come say hi, find me wherever you want to find me. Anshuman Mitra, that's my name. Yeah, it's been superb uh, being on here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or give us a rating on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me in our Two Girls, One Ship chat on the Robots Radio Discord channel and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on Patreon at Two Girls, One Ship. Links to those are in the description. I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and also be sure to check out our live stream on Twitch and YouTube on Fridays at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. Check out the description for all links if you're interested. Thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later, and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, a FromSoft Lorecast, available everywhere.